A lot of stories the past few years about families and friendships torn apart by disagreements over science, the science behind vaccines or climate change or GMOs, you name it. Oftentimes, people will hold on to mistaken beliefs through thick and thin, and it turns out that's because it isn't really about facts. It's about identity and trust. And the way to find common ground, unsurprisingly, is to talk it over. Joining me now is one of the foremost experts on this topic. Lee McIntyre is a philosopher of science and author of the very fine book, How to Talk to a Science Denier. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is a fascinating subject, only because of how topical it is now, but I gather it's been topical for a very long time. But tell me a bit about, about what you sort of what drove you to try to explore this further. Uh, I've been interested in science denial for 20 years, longer. Back when I was a kid, it just, it never occurred to me why people would doubt what scientists said. I mean, that scientists doubt what one another say all the time that, you know, but, but they're scientists and they, you know, they try to make it better, but why would someone think that scientists were, were biased or were lying to them? I was scandalized by the, uh, the Galileo affair when I was a kid, I remember reading about that in the encyclopedia and just thinking, wow, it's a great thing. I live in an era where that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> and um, the, the reason that I, you know, I just got so fascinated with science denial finally is because it started to grow. I mean, it, it was a kind of a boutique interest uh, originally uh, for me, I guess I didn't, you know, starting out my career, I didn't know much about it, but then it, started to not just be the fringe it started to really become quite a bit more mainstream and that's when i and i've been writing a little bits about it in in other books but this most recent book of mine is uh, completely devoted to how to talk to a science denier because i think that we do have to speak to them i think that the idea that people have had in the past has been just ignore them and they'll go away or it's no use speaking to them. You're never going to change their mind. And I think that both of those things are dangerous. We do have to talk to them. And I think that we can change their mind. I was going to say, because you found in the book that that is, in fact, not always easy to change someone's no. mind, but it's certainly not incorrect. It can be done. It can be done. And I think that the important thing is, by trying, we're at least you know, uh, taking a crack at it. We're, we're fighting the good fight. And the worst that will come of it is that we've built some trust, which over time might eventually get someone to uh, change their mind. The important thing going into these conversations is really to remember the goal is not to change their mind. The goal is to get them to listen. And if you think of it that way, then you've got the right attitude, the right approach about it. Because a lot of people just, again, have the mistaken view that if you just share the facts, someone should change their mind. But that doesn't usually work with a science denier. And so you have to figure out what really makes them tick. Why do they believe this thing? And it's not simply because they have doubts or even because they've been lied to. It's because they distrust the people who are on the other side. And when you accept that that's what it's about, then it just makes sense that conversation is the way to try to get past it. And I think you put it exactly right. It doesn't always work. And it's in fact, very hard to do. But it's worth doing, and sometimes it really does work. 
I know you've referred to this as the information deficit model, right? This is yes. if if you think someone is arguing with you because they just don't understand what the facts are, giving them That's the right. facts doesn't always doesn't always help. What are some of I mean, I think the obviously the first example that comes to mind of late is is vaccinations, is COVID and, and COVID vaccinations. Using that as sort of an example, where do you see both the where do you see people's beliefs being built and then cemented around um evidence which is at best very dubious i I don't think it starts with evidence i think it starts with fear people uh, vaccines are especially fraught i mean think about not just taking a vaccine for yourself but giving a vaccine to your kid and you want to do the right thing and you know people are are afraid and then they begin to hear misinformation, disinformation. They begin to hear people that they trust, people in their circle who have doubts. And then they think, well, I'll just start to investigate for myself. And there's an entire industry out there waiting for that, waiting for you to come looking for an honest take. And they don't have an honest take. Um, And in some cases, folks get radicalized and they become anti-vaxxers in a case like that. But, you know, I always remind people that, you know, polarization happens on both sides. It's, you know, it's sometimes it happened to the allies of science that they just, they think that the anti-vaxxers are just unintelligent people. Or the, the worst is when they think, well, you know, they, they don't care. Anti-vaxxers love their kids too. They're just getting bad information from unreliable sources. And the job should be to be the one person on the other side that they feel like they can really talk to because you listen to them. And it's the listening that is what converts people. You can't change somebody's mind against their will, but you can create a trusting relationship where when they're ready to hear the facts, you're the person that they'll talk to. Because you've mentioned that this is often a question of not misinformation, which you describe as something that's a mistake but disinformation, yes. which is something right. that is done. Uh, how does that work? It, it's, it's impossible to fathom, isn't it? Who in their right mind would make up, intentionally lie about vaccines or intentionally lie about something so, so high stakes? And yet it's true. Um, a, a shocking amount of the disinformation about COVID, uh, about masking, about uh, the uh, Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, you know, all of these things, uh, it comes from foreign, t- foreign intelligence. We are, we are right now in an information war with Russia. We're not in a shooting war, but we're in an information war in which they're trying to um, undermine American institutions. Um, I said there, I know you're, you're Canadian, but, um, you know, American institutions, democracy, uh, intelligence services, education, science are under assault. And so it's important to uh, to remember that. And then going into it with that perspective, then it can make you a little bit more savvy to where some of this stuff comes from. Nobody wakes up one day and one's wonders, you know, I wonder if there are microchips in that vaccine. I wonder if there's biometric tracking data. Nobody just thought that up. That was a story that was invented uh, by the GRU. 
and then pumped out an English language prop their English language propaganda arm, the Oriental Review, which was the story was a lie, but at the bottom it said share on Facebook, share on Twitter, and people did. And once it gets out there and it feeds that fear that people have and that skepticism and distrust, um, it led, the, the poll I saw, the CBS poll, was that a month after that story came out, in the, so the story came out in April 2020, by May 2020, 44% of Republican voters believed it to be true. Now, that's, that's a shocking, shocking uh, uh, uptake of a propaganda story. Um, but, you know, quite a bit of um, anti-vax uh, happens that way. It also happens from people who have alternative cures, uh, allegedly, and they make money on this. Uh, some of it's misinformation. Some of people are sharing things that they think are true, but they're really not. But most of even that has its roots in disinformation. I, I've said it in my, uh, my book, um, science denial isn't a mistake, it's a lie. And it's important to remember that even if it's misinformation, the provenance is usually a lie. And you mentioned something interesting there, too, about the fact that it was Republican voters who, who had sort of bought into this idea. And that was the idea of, of sort of a certain sense of belonging, of identity is so yes. important to, yes. to denial. Because it isn't about the facts, it's about who you are. And then changing how someone is, is much more difficult than changing their yeah. mind about whether, whether it's going to rain tomorrow or not, for instance. That, that, that's right. I, I mean, I often say it couldn't be about the facts. How could it be? <laughs> you know, it, it's based on something else. And if you think about, I mean, there are 50 years or more of social psychology experiments which show that uh, belief is social. We want to believe. We're wired to believe what the other people around us believe. Um, you know, it, that's probably selected for in the evolutionary environment. Uh, our community is important. Our friends and family are important. Um, and especially when we get reinforced in what we already sort of want to believe by the other people in our community, that's, uh, that's a, a big factor as well. So yes, it is identity. And sometimes pre-existing fault lines can be exploited by you know, for political purposes or religious purposes, whatever, you know, you have that you want polarization, it's usually, you know, you can use it to exploit an existing fault line and create an us versus them. Uh, vaccines used to be fairly, anti-vax used to be fairly evenly split between uh, liberals and conservatives. Now, they were anti-vax maybe for different reasons, but you found quite a number of a percentage of anti-vaxxers were liberal Democrats, uh, no more. Um, it's there, there are some still there, but that issue has become politicized. Why? Because it was in someone's interest to politicize it. I'm speaking with Lee McIntyre, philosopher of science and author of How to Talk to a Science Denier. After this, how do you talk to a science denier in a way that may at least encourage them to think about what they believe? Um, it's not about the facts, oddly enough. More about that after this. I'm back with Lee McIntyre, philosopher of science and author of How to Talk to a Science Denier. One of the things that I found most enlightening about the book was that we're so used to trying to argue facts with facts, or, or sort of, but I'm not a scientist. Um, I'm not a climatologist. I'm not a vaccine expert. You don't have to be, apparently. 
to be able to have a, a legitimate and interesting conversation with someone about their beliefs and why they believe in them. And how is that? Most fascinating things to me as a philosopher, as somebody who thinks about reasoning, that what a gift, what an opportunity to discover based on good empirical work that you were just as likely to be able to convince somebody by talking about how they're reasoning as about talking about the content of their reasoning. This goes back to a study in Nature Human Behavior in the summer of 2019 by Cornelia Bache and Philip Schmid. And they found that there was something called content, which is just what you think. If you're a climatologist and you want to talk somebody out of their false beliefs about climate change, you know, go nuts. You know the facts. Still might not work. What they found was just as effective, though, is if you're a layperson and say you don't know all those, uh, you're not an expert on the facts, then you can have a conversation with them about why they believe what they believe. So don't get into a a match of fact against fact, say things like, well, why believe that? Or, but wait a minute, you are seem like somebody who's very skeptical, but you completely trusted this one source. Why do you think that person's not lying to you? You know, so it, it was just getting them to expand, just listening to why they believe what they believe. Sometimes they'll tell you, what you need to know in order to, to try to convince them. And then, of course, my all-time favorite question, which I stole from Karl Popper, famous philosopher of science, is what evidence, if I had it, would convince you to change your mind? Because if they can't answer that, then there's no pretense. They're not a scientist. They're not thinking about it in the right way, because any scientist should be able to answer that question. But a denier will often balk. I, I use that question to great effect against science deniers who go, uh, well, well, give me proof. And then I can say, well, science isn't about proof. I thought you said you understood how science worked. It's about likelihood and probability given the evidence, but you're not sharing with me what evidence could convince you. I don't know what to say. Because you've mentioned that there are for every form of denial, whether it be flat earthers or people who believe it, or you know, or you know, people who oppose climate change, any number of things, that there are essentially some very similar tropes that they that they rely mm-hmm. on, and 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 the people rely on. Uh, what are those? Uh, this was uh, some terrific work that has been uh, 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 originally due to the Hoofnagel brothers, Mark and Chris, but it's been popularized by us. Uh, Lewandowski, John Cook, some uh, cognitive scientists who have, who have really I mean, done more than popularize it. They've really developed it into an entire program. There are five steps. Every science denier about evolution, climate change, anti-vax, anything, reasons in this way. First, they cherry pick evidence. Second, they believe in conspiracy theories. Third, they engage in illogical reasoning. Uh, Fourth, they rely on fake experts and tend to denigrate real experts. And fifth, they think that science has to be perfect in order to be credible. And it's sometimes a little bit of a mix and match to figure out when they're doing that. I mean, I carry that rubric around in my head. And when someone start, when someone says to me, you know, I really love what you said about climate change. And I, you know, and I'm, and I'm convinced by what you say about vaccines. I mean, you really gave it to them. That's great. But boy, did you screw up about GMOs. 
And then I'll say, oh, really? Well, why do you think that GMOs are dangerous? And then they start to talk and I go, ah, conspiracy theory. Oh, there's some cherry picked evidence. Wait a minute. That's illogical. You can just go through the list in your head and, and figure it out. Um, so it, it's a very handy thing. And part of um, technique rebuttal, by the way, that Bach and Schmidt talked about, to have that five brick in your head, because that's what's going to enable you to question not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Lee McIntyre, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me.